Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. I want to talk to you about igniting passion in your life. And judging by a few of you, you need your flame lit. So I'm going to try. Paul says, I always thank God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way. So you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who called you into fellowship with Christ is in fact faithful. God made every one of us to live a passion-filled life. Now, He doesn't require that you do. The Lord won't make you do anything. But the fact that the Lord wants you to live a passionate life is key. Passion is what energizes life. It's the creative force behind everything that's good and wonderful and great. And without passion, you're not living. You're just thump, thump. You're you're just existing. I don't know about you, but I love to be around passionate people. Even if it's something I don't particularly care for, you watch people. They want to lasso a great white shark and stick a tag on it. And, And, you know, I'm thinking the crocodile hunter. Now, he's gone on to Jesus and animal heaven, but you remember the guy would pick up the most poisonous reptile in the world and say, oh, she's a naughty girl. And he'd ride, you know, he'd ride a hippopotamus or something. And I just remember his passion for all kinds of wildlife kept me riveted. I ain't going near the sucker, but I was riveted, drawn to passion. How about you? I don't want to hang around a dial tone. I love passion. I love passion in people. It's a creative force. Thank God for the passion of a Steve Jobs. We'd still be on a rotary phone with a party line. Now we got smartphones. Somebody said yesterday, Rick, who was that in the movie that played? I said, I don't know. I just took my phone, Google it, boom, there it was. Somebody else asked for the elevation of uh, a particular place in the United States. I said, Siri, what is, what is the elevation? I'll make Colorado or whatever. Boom, there it came up. Think about that. Somebody was passionate about it, and because of it, my life is easier. It's a lot better. I can hang around an iPad, iPhone, iPod, don't have to carry CD players, can carry all the movies I want on here, put my sermons on here, and instead of carrying a 40-pound briefcase around the world to speak, I just carry an iPad. This is the coolest thing in the world. You say, well, he was hard to work for. Yeah, but he changed the world, goober. People who change the world aren't the most wonderful, easy people to sit around. Find yourself a couch potato. They're easy to be around. Just pass the nachos. Not going anywhere, not doing anything. Nothing's going to happen. Somebody had a passion to see mail delivered overnight. Thank God for Fred Smith and FedEx. It blew the doors off the old government control mail system that might come and might not. Before your wife goes through menopause, you might get a letter or a package. But Fred changed the whole world and made them all step up. He raised the bar. Passion. Without passion, you just exist. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, my purpose is to give you life in all of its fullness. So God says, I want you to live a full life, a fulfilling life, 
a life with significance, a life with vitality, and a life with passion. You know, passion mobilizes, it drives, it motivates, it causes ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So if God wants His people to live a passionate life, to live a spiritual adventure, why are there so many deflated people? They're like helium-filled balloons. You fill them up, they go to the top of a ceiling at a party. You don't have to worry about getting them down. You know tomorrow they're going to come down deflated, laying on the ground, just like a whole lot of believers. They lose their zip, and they, they kind of float to the, to the floor, and they just stay there. And, and their zip, their carbonation, their high octane is all gone. Well, what happened? You know, life is to be enjoyed, not just endured. I like to say if you're not living on the edge, you're just taking up too much space. Move that rear end. Get into action. Find something that you love. And so there are a lot of causes that sap the energy, the adventure, the vitality out of people's lives, and there are some things we can do about it. Helen Keller, who was blind and deaf, think about that said, life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. And in our text today, St. Paul says, God, who got you started in this spiritual adventure, shared with you the grace that comes to us in Christ Jesus, and all of the spiritual gifts you need for that adventure are already, in fact, yours. But as everybody in this room knows, over time, stuff happens. You know, it drains energy. It kills the adventure. And we call these things passion killers. So I want to give you about seven of them today. And I hope the Lord will impress on you something that you can address and change that'll put some vitality and some pizzazz back into your life. The first killer of passion is living life with no clear purpose. Not being able to know, claim, or discover the reason you are on this earth. I'll be up in the new member class after this session, and I like to tell them the two most important days in your life are the day you were born, and then the day you find out why. So what on earth are you here for? I don't think this is very difficult. A couple of quick random thoughts. What do you like to do? Let's start this. What do you do that you're pretty good at? And when you do it, other people say, you're good at it. And the longer you do it, the better you get at it. That's a key to your strength. Magazines come in the mail. What's the first one you read? Always pick it up. Tired, not tired, doesn't matter. Cancel your subscription to the rest. You won't read them. I used to travel around the world and pick up an album from somebody. I was preaching in a conference, and I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And I pick it up, and, you know, two years later, I haven't even listened to it. Throw it in the trash. What it's telling me is that's not where my gift is. That's not where my passion is. So go with your passion. Go with, God didn't make you to marry somebody ugly and to live a boring life. He did not. And so you're going to like what you do. You're going to be good at it, and the more you, you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And if you've been doing it 10 years and you still suck, stop doing it. Please, for God's sake, for your sake, for everybody's sake, quit, because that's not going to be your strength and passion. Oh, it's Monday. You, you're gonna, when you, look, you can get tired in what you do, but you don't get tired of it. Big difference. All of us get tired. You can be doing what you love and get tired, but not of it. 
just tired in it. Does that make sense? And so ask yourself that probing question. I'm attracted to passionate people. They radiate like nuclear radiation. They radiate people around them. They kind of come in and make the team better. When you get one like that on a ball club, except for the Cowboys, they, they, get, they get better. I'm, I'm praying, folks, you know. I believe in miracles. <laughs> Getting rid of Jerry Jones would be the biggest one, I think. But it, that's nevertheless. You know, without that passion, you're just going through the motions, but you don't have any direction. Nobody ever told me that. You got children. One of them makes straight A's in math. The other one can't pass. You can't say to one, why can't you make A's like your sister? Duh, because they're different. Their assignment is going to be different by God. Their gift is going to be different by God. And I'll tell you what, the one who flunks math can probably, will make more money than the other one if you'll put her or him in that area of their passion and interest. You cannot drive somebody into a non-gifted area and say, if I give them more of it, they'll get better. They won't get better. And if you want to read a good book, I read maybe eight years ago, it's the best book I ever read for $14 called Soar With Your Strength. It's not a Christian book, but it is definitely biblical. The fact is, you're never going to make a weakness a strength. So what is it you're good at? And if you're better than everybody else in that area, you're going to make money in that and you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to be a blessing to everybody else as, as well. So find out what you're good at. I, I'm serious. God didn't make you to be unhappy. Here's what Isaiah says, Isaiah 49 verse 4. I've labored to no purpose at all. I've spent all my strength in vain for nothing. What a sad indictment to live your life and just waste it. I, I spent all my energy, I spent all my strength in vain for nothing. See, passion and purpose go together. When you discover your potential, passion emerges. When you know your purpose, you become passionate about it. You need something bigger than yourself to pull you out of yourself, to give you energy and enthusiasm to live life to the fullest. Otherwise, it's activity, but no direction. It's trivial, it's petty, it's pointless. But whenever we start to get these things clear about our purpose, I get amazed at the return of energy and vitality and passion. I, I mean, we got a cello player up here. I love that. I, I still have one more unfulfilled desire. I want a brass section like Motown. I still, no, I don't care what you say. Uh, you, you what? If God allows me to live, you will see it happen. I give you my word, you will ultimately see it. We'll make them cry in Motown. But you got to see it. You got to believe for it. You got to persevere for it. If I had listened to all the naysayers in a recession and in the worst time to build a building like this with a debt, I'd have gone out in the field and shot myself. And then people say, well... Can you believe that? Yeah, I believed it before I saw it, dummy. What happened to you? So, so guess what? Sometimes people will, will tag along with your passion, with your vision, with your purpose. They don't have any. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't have any, if you don't know what God made you, hang out at least with people who do and eat the crumbs off their table and you'll get fatter than staying alone. Find, find people going at least where you want to go. Hang out with them. Learn what they know. Eat from their table. And God will ultimately reveal what He wants you to do. But don't just wander around aimless. 
Second reason we lose our passion, an unbalanced schedule. When you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're fatigued, passion oozes out of your life. So we need balance in our lives, rest and work, input and output. The great theologian of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. The, did you know the great bold prophet Elijah was ready to die? He wanted to die? And how did God deal with him? Made him go to sleep, woke him up and fed him, put him back to sleep, woke him up and fed him. That's what fatigue does when you're out of balance and you just want to quit on life. So the Bible says in Ecclesiastes there's a rhythm to life. There's a time to build, there's a time to tear down, a time to live, and there'll be a time to die, a time to work, and a time to play, a time to strive and accomplish, and a time to have fun. And if you're not having some fun in your life, you're going to lose passion for life. When, you know, back in the 60s, some of the religious people I was exposed to who were leaders, they were very sincere, but they felt the vacation was worldly. They thought having fun was worldly. No wonder people stayed away from church by the thousands. That is the biggest nonsense I ever heard in life. Duties don't conflict. Some of those guys ended up losing their home, their marriage, and their children. And their whole idea was, I'm going to burn out for God. I, I, I'm zealous for God. Yeah, and you neglected your wife and your children and your health. And so God says, you did not please me. Duties don't conflict. There's time to be, if I'm my job, my pastor, there's time to be a husband, time to be a father. God did not create you and call you to destroy your home, your health, your marriage. And if anybody tells you that, they're full of Texas bull. It's not in Scripture. Jesus would walk away from a whole crowd and go alone. He didn't even get permission, didn't have his pager on, didn't answer his phone, nothing. Where is he? I don't know. How can he leave the whole crusade? He got tired. He left. You love, I got to love that. I think everybody would love Jesus. Not the religious stuff, but I think they'd really, really love him. And so, how about your life? In this room, there are a lot of people by nature who are generous. They're giving people. They're caregivers. They're always serving. They're always sharing. And they rarely take time to recharge. Psalms 127, verse 2, David says, in vain you rise early, you stay up all night, you toil for food to eat, but the Lord grants sleep to those He loves. So God doesn't want you to burn out. That's a huge mistake. So it's wonderful to be interested, caring, and loving of other people, but you need to recharge. And sometimes you just have to say no. It's not a bad thing. You just have to say no. It's not a good thing right now. You can't answer every call. You can't go to every party. You can't go to every baby shower. You can't make everybody happy. And if I am not happy, I can't make you happy. If I don't feed myself, I can't give you anything. And so what makes you a fun person to be around is the balance and variety of a schedule so that you can be both entertaining and interesting and informative and life-giving for people to be around. Jesus said, love others as you love yourself. I don't want some people to love me. They hate themselves. So he says, get a good self-image. Sow into yourself. And then out of that, 
Share with other people. You'll be fun to be with and be around. Does that make sense? But if you're just beat up and tired and gone, there's nothing to give anybody. You're empty. Your tank's empty. So, and I don't care what it is. Golfing, shopping girls, that's a good amen, you know? Or, or you need to go get a pedicure and a massage or something like that at the spa, get one. You work all week here for vacation Bible school, take a couple extra days off. Recharge. I've had Mia all week, 6 a.m. up, to bed at a quarter to eight. It's like I just got my life back today. I'm tired. I don't know how you mamas do that, keeping up with a four or five-year-old like that. And I, and I thought, so you need a little R&R for yourself so you feel good, you're happy, you love what you do. But no matter who you are, if you overdo it, you're going you're gonna to burn that wick out and you're going to be smoking flax. You're not going to have much to give anybody. So how about you? Is your schedule balanced or out of balance? Number three, unresolved conflict will destroy your passion. Keeping relationship healthy is one of the keys to keeping passion and adventure alive in your life. And I'm sure there are people in this room who are dealing with conflict that hasn't been resolved. It could be in your home or your marriage, maybe where you work or where you go to school. It could be anywhere, but it drains you when it's not resolved. You can feel the energy and the passion leaking out of your life. It is a fact. Listen to Job chapter 5, verse 2. Resentment destroys the fool, and jealousy kills the simple. Jealousy and resentment will kill passion quicker than anything. You cannot afford those toxins. The Bible says in Job 18, verse 4, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. And you know, if it weren't sad, it'd be funny. But people who walk around with bitterness and unresolved conflict with somebody else who they perceive hurt them, that person doesn't even know you're angry at them. They don't know you're up all night and all day thinking about them that you're having that effect on them. You're like the guy drinking poison, hoping somebody else will die. You're the only one dying. And when Jesus taught us to forgive, it wasn't for the other person. It was for us. He said, look, I want you to stay healthy. I don't want you to get cancer. I don't want you to release all these acids in your body. I, I want, let them go. Otherwise, you become an open door for the enemy to come in and kill and steal and destroy because of bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment or jealousy. You cannot, that's too expensive. You cannot afford that. And if the person has already died or they've moved away and you can't get to them, then you need to give that to God and get on with your life and not let it destroy you. I'm not going to let anybody who uh, disappoints me or hurts me or does anything evil against me steal my life and my future. Only I can forfeit that. Nobody can take it from you. God says, that which I have begun in you, I will perform it to the day of Jesus. So why am I going to let some twit steal my joy or steal my future? No, that's his problem, not my problem. I forgive forgive. Make it a habit. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Just do it. Love isn't a feeling. Love's a choice. Those feelings come and go. Three stages in marriage, lust, rust, and dust. Feelings come and go. But love, love is a choice. It's a decision you make. That's all. Get out of this. I got to feel it. I feel like killing people sometimes. I don't, do, I don't live by my feeling. I feel like slapping some people or whatever, but I don't live by feeling. What, you want me to tell you a lie? 
you can, you can perm your hair and put wax in it and wear your little boutique and get up and do your little preacher thing. But at the end of the day, you feel like knocking somebody off. And then you make a choice. I choose to forgive them. I release them. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let it go, or you get a root of bitterness in you, and it springs up. It defiles you, and then it defiles others around you. You become toxic. You can forget favor and blessing. You forget it. So, don't allow that. If you're going to start a business, if you're going to start a church, if you're going to dare to do anything different than anybody else, if you write a new music, start a new trend, you're going to have people not like you just because you're different. If you can't handle that, exit life, because that's a fact. So, don't be easily offended and don't carry resentment. I've, I've prayed with people who a parent's been dead 25 years, and they're still carrying this bitterness and unforgiveness. And I said, let it go. Let it go. I had a wonderful African-American couple in our old location, you know, 20 years ago, and said for 20 years, he was an attorney. He had been fighting legislation, prosecuting uh, for, for racial discrimination. And I said, I make up a name. I just said, Tony, it's killing you. Look at you. He said, yeah, it is. I said, you're the one dying. Let it go. And he did. He went on and authored a book, uh, moved out to Virginia, Washington, did D.C., did great. Went on and did great things. So, sometimes you just need somebody to unchain you from some of that nonsense. It'll kill passion in you, and all you do is run around and hate people. Matthew 8 says, go to the person, try to resolve it. If they don't receive it, you're off the hook. Let it go. Let them handle their own poison. You're free. God will bless you. So, maybe you're here today because you need to let somebody go and forgive them. And just believe it when you say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. they just dumb. They don't know what they're doing. It's okay. Aren't you glad on the cross Jesus didn't say, I'll get you when I come back. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Number four, here's another passion killer, an isolated lifestyle, an isolated lifestyle. You and I were made to need each other. We're made to live in relationship with other people. Psalm 68 verse 1, uh, verse 2 says, God sets the solitary in families. That's His plan. It's not good that we, man, live alone. That wasn't just for marriage. That was life. Uh, two are better than one, for they have a great reward. So, that's why solitary confinement is one of the least desirable forms of punishment. That's why when somebody who's been married a long time loses a spouse, they wonder now, what do they have to live for? It's what happens when people of all kinds of reasons stop being around God's people. They stop coming to church. They stop hanging around with people who share the grace of God. And when that happened, passion starts to leak out of people's lives. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one, because when one falls down, a friend can help you up. Pity the person who stumbles but has no one to help. We need each other. We need the encouragement of each other. You take a red-hot piece of charcoal off your grill and set it by self, set it aside, what happens? You isolate the coal, it starts to get, it starts to get cold. But if you put it back into the fire, it warms up again. And God made us that way too. 
We need people with whom we share values and goals and dreams and beliefs and hopes to sustain the passion we have in life. Because I could be feeling discouraged. Maybe I'm not seeing as much uh, uh, growth or development as I want to. Then I'm with some other people, and all of a sudden I feel pumped. I feel re-energized. I wouldn't have that if I didn't network with people. And you need it too. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but let us encourage one another. And so, who do you need to encourage, and who is going to encourage you? I, I tell you, coming to church it's getting up early in the morning, having your coffee might be a bit of a drag, but when you walk out that door, you're going to heard something from a life-giving God's Word and the Holy Spirit that will speak to you, convict you, or stir you and drive you on, and you won't walk out saying, ah, I hate I came today. That's not going to happen. You need that encouragement because it can help you solve a problem. Well, I watch on live stream. Well, that's good if you live out of state, out of the city. But if you just live 10 blocks away, get off your rear end and get your ugly self here. Get around. There ain't, no, there ain't no fellowship around a TV screen. It's better than nothing, but it's pretty close to nothing when you have the option to be with family and people. And out of this room, there are a lot of people who will stir you on, and there may be others God puts you here to stir them on, to encourage them. So he says, I don't want you to forsake the assembly. This is not a legalistic thing. It's just a, it's just a fact. You need the encouragement of people with shared values and dreams and vision. Then number five, an unexamined life, an unexamined life. Socrates wrote, an unexamined life is not worth living. But before Socrates said that, the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 40 said, let us look closely at our ways, let us examine ourselves, and then return to the Lord. Fast forward to the New Testament, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31, says, if we examine ourselves, we will not be examined by God and judged in this way. Then in 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 5 in the Message Bible, he says, test yourself to make sure you're solid in the faith. <clears throat> Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. That means every once in a while you need to ask yourself, how am I doing? How are you going in your life spiritually? Where are you going? Is your life on track? Do you think you are where God wants you to be? If you're married, talk it over. Ask some pretty hard questions. Get a checkup. If you, you know, I don't care how healthy you are, every year I get a major checkup, blood test, drain the oil, rotate the tires. I do. There could be stuff going on in me I'm not aware of. And by the time you are aware of it, it could be too late. So early detection saves you a whole lot of misery, right? So don't neglect it. Get, get a regular checkup, particularly if you come from a family, and I'm speaking naturally now, but catch it spiritually. Maybe you're prone to high blood pressure, or high cholesterol. You want to get a regular checkup to be sure you're, you're on track and you're doing well. You get a regimented uh, checkup like that. You know, NASCAR has moved into the mainstream of American culture because of our thirst for energy and excitement and speed and risk and crashes, and it draws millions of fans. But even those race drivers have to pull in, take a pit stop. 
change the tires, fix a broken part, take on more fuel, give the driver some cold liquids. And in the race of life, you need to take occasional pit stops too. Pull back, hear what God's saying. And when you do it, your soul is going to be energized and replenished. God will pinpoint some area in your life that needs attention. Now, here's what most people think. Well, God's going to give me 22 things that are wrong in my life. I promise you that will never happen. You have to go to a church for that. God's going to pinpoint a main issue. A lot of it is the result of a main issue wrong. And He'll pinpoint one thing. He says, now, deal with that. Could be in your marriage, could be a, a character flaw, could be something going on a little privately that no one knows about. God says, deal with that. And it's a key to breaking the rest of it when you deal with that root. But He never comes to me and says, well, there's 42 things wrong with you, Rick. Well, there's probably a lot more than that, but no, he'll, he'll say, here, here, here's the issue, and you'll just know in your heart, bang, that's it. And you deal with that, and it'll have life-giving effects all over you, the rest of parts of your life. You know, you pull something up by the root, the rest of the fruit on the tree, it dies. And that's what happens with some of the stuff in our life. It's rooted in something, and they drain passion, they drain our energy. So there's stuff we carry on the inside, nobody sees on the outside. It could be sin, could be wrongdoing. Sin separates us from God. It separates us from each other. And every now and then you need a good house cleaning in your life. Throw stuff away you haven't used in a year. Go through your closet. I don't care how much it costs. You hadn't worn it in a year. Ask any fashion designer. You're not going to wear it. Get rid of it. Give it to somebody that's the same size and weight if you can. Otherwise, give it to goodwill or sew it into some, someone that'll make a difference and make them happy. Go through there. Watch me come back in there after a year with all kinds of shirts and ties and stuff that I hadn't worn in a year. And it's good. It's new. Too good to be through. And say, boys, if it fits, take it. It's all yours. What am I doing? It's just amazing the crud we pick up, and then we get new stuff, and we don't care about the old stuff anymore, but then we hold on to it. Don't, don't do that. Get a good house cleaning. Uh, be hard on yourself. Just judge yourself. Stuff needs to be thrown out. Stuff needs to be confessed. Stuff needs to be forgiven. God says in Matthew 6, if you'll come before me, if you'll own it, if you'll admit it, if you'll acknowledge whatever it is, and if you're willing to forgive others for wrongs they've done to you, I will forgive you. And when that happens, a weight is lifted off of you like an 18-wheeler truck coming off your chest. Passion starts to flow again. It feels good to be alive, and it does. Here's the sixth passion killer, an undernourished soul, an undernourished soul. What do you call a person who eats once a week? A supermodel. No. <laughs> no, you call it malnourished, starving. And a lot of believers are starving spiritually. See, our soul, like our body, needs nourishment. You can have a buff body and an anorexic soul. Why don't you have both? You can work on the body, and you can work on the soul, the spirit man. He has to be fed just like your body has to be fed. Your muscles have to be exercised with weight to grow, and so does your faith. So you can't have one and then say, I'm in balance. It won't work. There are a lot of people. The, I, I'm watching people biking today, great people, and it's a good thing to do. But I thought, you know what, you're probably going to have a good cardio system, but when tragedy hits, when crisis hits, when the doctor says, oh, it's stage four, and you didn't even know you had it, 
Now we'll find out how little you have to carry you. Then it's just sobbing and fear and needing comfort instead of being able to stand on God's Word, to rebuke, to stand, to pray for health and healing, and to be confident that if it doesn't happen, I'm with Jesus. I have eternal life. I'm not afraid. I don't buckle. I don't fall apart. So, you make the choice. You know, if you come Christmas and Easter, I wouldn't give you ten cents for the strength of your soul. And in this world, that's eternal. You know, I don't care how buff you are and how much you're on supplements. I pay enough money for supplements to pay for another wedding. It's just, but you know what? I'm deliberate about it. And at 70 years of age, I feel like I'm 45. But it's not accidental. Look at my daddy. And you'll say, ooh. That's what I said when I saw him at 58, and I thought, ooh. Boy, you're going to look like that if you don't live different. And I thought that was motivation to drive me over to good exercise, health, and supplements. It didn't come easy. It never comes easy. And I never feel like doing it, but I sure like the benefits of it. So I nourish my body, but I nourish my soul as well. Listen to Deuteronomy 8.3. People need more than just bread in order to live. Real life comes by feeding on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Proverbs 3, verse 22, God's principles will fill you with life-giving energy. Anybody out there want a piece of that? I love that, life-giving energy. That means when trouble comes, I've got a weapon to stand against it. I'm passionate. I'm going to fight my way through this illness or fight my way through this financial problem or fight my way through this conflict, whatever the obstacle is. Why? I'm spiritually fit, just like a guy that's buff and in shape is fit as well in a gym. You can do this for yourself. And so God's giving you the, the, the stuff here to say, hey, hey, hey. God's principles, God's Word will give you life-giving energy, just like a good carb will give you energy in your body. Romans 12, 11 says, don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. Notice those words, keep yourself. That means you have to do it. I can't do it for you. I can't make anybody exercise. I can't make you spend any time with your wife, have a date night. I can't make you uh, set some boundaries in your life. Only you can do that. You have to do it. It's intentional. Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing God's Word. And so, how do you get faith from God's Word and then from acting on it? You can go to the gym, buy Nike shoes, a cute outfit, pay for your membership, and just walk by the machines. Ain't no weight going to fall off of you. No muscles are going to bulge under your arms. You can just, you can, you can go get a smoothie in the, in, the, in the cafe there and just watch everybody run all around, say, I spent an hour in the gym. <laughs> it won't do you any good. But I tell you what, the more I hear God's Word and the problem I may be facing, it gives me strength. I have confidence. God will deliver me in my trial. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him from them all. How do you believe for what God can do? Because His Word strengthens me. I didn't read it on Christmas, and I, now I'm standing on it. I get it every week. You can get it every week. We even give you a free devotional book out there every month, free. But you got to look at it, 
And with a cup of coffee, it takes a minute and 30 seconds to read one short page, one scripture, an application, boom, you're out the door. You've got a little bit of, of vitamins spiritually. The little word can stay in your heart and your head, and it may just be the word you need for that day or something that's going to come up that day. Get it. Just, you don't have to go into a four-hour trance in prayer, but get something. You can punch a CD when you drive down that hell-filled 281 trying to get to town, or you're coming back. Do something productive beside cuss. Put in a CD. Sounds like I drive on that road. Yes, yes. And so I carry CDs in my car. I listen to stuff all the time. And every once in a while, I'll say, bam, that's it. Wow, that's life-changing. Bam, and I go for it. But you got to do something about it. So faith comes by hearing God's Word. So when I make God's Word a part of my life, it refreshes, it nourishes my soul so I can have passion for everyday life. Every day. Every day, you and I have to deal with distractions, disappointments, problems, and pressure. Every day. Not once a month. Not once in a lifetime. Every day, we face challenge and conflict that shrivels our spirit and our soul. And because that happens, I have to be intentional about feeding our souls. Every morning I get up, I've got that pile of supplements. I got barley green, I got wheat grass, I got uh, flax seed, and there are just days I don't even want to fool with it. But I'll stir it up and then drink it, and then later I'm glad I did. But I have to be intentional. I can't walk by the kitchen counter and it jumps on me and in me. <laughs> I have to do it. And then Tuesday morning is going to be the weight room and the trainer and the gym. Oh, dear Jesus, I have never once ever felt like this is going to be a good day. <laughs> I dread it like French kissing a, a hippopotamus or something with bad breath. I, it's like, I don't want to do it. Who feels that good at 8.30 in the morning? But not at my age anyway. But you know what? I drag in, get it going, and it's amazing. After about 15 minutes, you're in the groove, you're feeling good. And when you walk out that door, you don't regret a thing. Boy, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I came. Well, spiritually, it's the same way. You're going to be glad you got up, glad you pushed through the crying kids and you came to church. And if they cry at 9 o'clock in the morning because they're grouchy, because I am too. I cry a lot in the morning at 9 because I'm grouchy. Come Saturday night at 5 o'clock. They're already up. They're already playing. Give them a little pizza or something and bring them in at 5, at five o'clock. Why, why fight the hassle? If I weren't the preacher, I'd never be here on Sunday. I'd be here Saturday night, ever. What a question. What do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> Nobody went to church at this hour in the New Testament. Are you kidding me? This is culture. This isn't Bible. It's not wrong. It's just that a lot of people think that's what they did in the New Testament. No, they didn't. So uh, read, listen, feed your soul. God's Word is food for our spirit man. It's our spiritual nourishment, but you have to be intentional. Your soul is not going to automatically feed itself. You feed it. So do it and watch that passion for everyday living start to come back. And last, number seven, unexpressed faith will kill passion. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Amplified Bible says, Let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, 
speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Paul says we are to be people who speak the truth. We are to speak truth in love. We were made to express truth and to express our faith. God has sent us into all the world. Every single person is His witness and the messenger of good news. God didn't send me into this world to judge it. That's His job. My job is to give it good news. And if you don't share it, if you don't say it, if you don't express it, two bad things happen. Number one, the world gets cheated. It's the world's loss because the message God wants to give to this world through you isn't being expressed. And you may be the only point of contact for that person, and you didn't say anything. Tell your story. Tell your story. Don't go into deep theology. Just tell your story. I was a drunk. I was living at Haven for Hope. I was on drugs. I came. I heard some good news. I gave my life to Jesus. They gave me a sponsor. I am now 15 months drug-free, alcohol-free. I now suddenly have a job. It's not a great job, but it's employment. I feel like my life is coming back together. I'm quoting from a testimony last week from a woman who came to Chosen because she was sponsored by the generosity of people at Summit, and she came to Chosen, and her whole life got changed and turned around. That energizes me. I live for that moment. That's so wonderful. And all somebody did was just, here's who I was, what I was, and here's what I found Christ, and here's what's going on with me. Don't get into any political, religious debate about theology. Just tell your story. And secondly, it's a loss to the world, but it's a loss to you because you lose your passion. See, we're not put on earth just to take in. We're here to give out. And if all you do is take in and take in and take in and never give out, you become like the Dead Sea, dead and stagnant. You know, the Sea of—I've been there many times. The, sea, the Jordan River feeds the Sea of Galilee, and Galilee is lush. It has fish, beautiful fish, restaurants, green foliage. Everything is full of life, birds and fish and all kind of plants around the Sea of Galilee. And then that same Jordan River flows right out of there all the way down to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea receives all the same life-giving nourishment from that Jordan River that the Sea of Galilee does. The only difference is the Dead Sea has no outlet. It takes, and it takes, and it takes. It could be on the program Hoarders, and it becomes toxic, polluted, and it dies. And I've stood in that water. It's dead because there's nothing alive in it, on it, or around it. It is completely dead, and yet the same life source feeds it. I am convinced a lot of Christians suffer with spiritual constipation. They take and they take and they take, but they never give out. Now God made you to take and give. I know it's a better illustration than, than something religious, because we all understand it. Jack Taylor, 35, 40 years ago, I forget when, we were, I was together, he preached a message called Dung. He said it's the nastiest message I've ever preached. <laughs> but today's life source is tomorrow's dung. Don't hoard, because you become toxic. Your life gets small. You, 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 your soul shrinks. God says, enjoy the goodness of life and things. But if you don't give out, whether it's love or mercy or service or your finances, you'll die. 
you will die because you become a spiritual hoarder. Anybody watch that movie, I mean the program Hoarders? And it's like, how did that person get in such bondage? Well, it didn't happen in a day. It was over a period of time. So loosen up. Allow God to flow through you. Be blessed, but bless others as well. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your great reward. And through you, I'm going to bless all nations. So the whole idea was, I can't bless you if I haven't been blessed. I can't lead you where I haven't been. And if you aren't blessed, how can I bless others? But the point isn't about me, it's about we. And so the whole point, if a church gets blessed and grows and has financial resources, it can do so much more for our community and for the poor. We're doing the backpack, 1,500 backpacks with all schools. We do it every year free to help underprivileged children. We do Christmas for the Child Protective Services, 1,500 children that we've assumed for. That's been over six years we've been doing that. To, to, to love and care for them. And I think about one day maybe we can do a whole lot more, but you've got to be blessed to be a blessing. And if I could just get a third of the summit people to take a spiritual laxative and give, <laughs> it's cleansing, it's healthy, and it's life-giving. I'm going to get a message on that, all right? I'm going <laughs> to... Try Psalms 96, verse 2. Each day tell somebody about God, about your blessing, about what is making a difference in your life. Now, you've heard about the pass it on principle. The more you receive, the more God calls you to give. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, you are God's instrument to do His work and speak out for Him to tell others the night and day difference He's made for you. So the more God blesses you in your life, the more you're to be a blessing in somebody else's life. And when you give out or pass it on, your passion, your energy gets restored. God says, give, and it shall be given to you. That's love, mercy, serving, finance, anything. It's a law. Pass it on, it comes right back to you, refreshes and restores to you. So how serious are you about getting passion back in your life? Remember, it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. It takes some time. It takes effort. It takes being intentional. Here's the last verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Take the time, make the effort, keep yourself spiritually fit. If you do, you'll live the passionate life God wants you to live. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.